We were talking to Jonathan Kozow, one of the most perceptive and outspoken young educators in America today. Uh, Jonathan Kozow won the National Book Award a couple of years ago with his a recounting of his experiences in the book Death at an Early Age, his growth as a teacher and uh, the revelations too. His new book, Free Schools, he himself is involved with the free school. His new book, Free Schools, published by Houghton Mifflin, is an explosive one indeed. And I thought perhaps, Jonathan, as we see it here now, you could hear the voice of a teacher. He died a number of years ago. Kermit Eby was teaching at the University of Chicago and other places. I asked him, what's a teacher? What is a teacher? And here's a bit of the conversation. We think of a teacher as someone, we, that is traditionally, conventionally, mm -hmm. the teacher is someone who is very objective. That is, he must bury his passion to be very objective, to offer both sides. Now, you, you speak, the first chapter is a confession of bias. Oh, well, you see, I happen to believe that integrity in this brethren tradition means that a student has a right to know who his teacher is. You see, I, t I take the position that the greatest fiction in all the intellectual exercise is objectivity. That, that we aren't people with feelings in them. Oh, this is nuts. I mean, we all have them. We, we can even be subjective in, in selectivity. I mean, my empirical friends, <laughs> they make their, uh, express their biases by what they select to research. They make, express their biases in the selection of their evidence. Now, I say in my brethren tradition, okay, young people, this is the kind of a fellow you got. I'm brethren, I'm Mennonite, I believe certain things. These are the things that I believe. I lay them out in the confession of bias. And after I have them laid out, I occasionally say, now if you want to leave, now's your chance. And sometimes they do. They get a little nervous. You know, this is a new experience. Now, I also take the position that this man of integrity has not only to admit it, but if he wants to write well and to write clearly and to express himself, he has to do it within the framework of this bias. As you notice in the chapter, I take the position that once you lose, you see, your conviction, your clarity, then you get develop your tick. I do not believe you can... You can fight against the, your real self and express yourself clearly. And, uh, now, but nevertheless, now, now, now here I have to make a very strong point. It's a point that I've always made in regard to my Marxist friends. If you are overt, I'll support you. In other words, I'm saying that in any intellectual and spiritual experience, you have to take the risk of being known, you see. I will not ex defend you if you're covert. Uh, uh, and uh, there's a great difference, you see, because my Mennonite ancestors said, if you, if you take your risks, you may risk death. And they did, 4,000 of them in my own. And so Kermit Eby, a teacher, one who expresses opinions, biases, lets the students know who he is. Your thoughts on this, Jonathan? Oh, see, that's the, that's the heart of the whole thing, because the, <coughs> the, the whole, the whole uh, heart of the, the free school struggle right now is the, is the dispute within our ranks between those who are prepared to take a stand and recognize their bias, and those who want to perpetrate this liberal myth of neutralism, you see. It's very, it's very fashionable. The you latter know, is very fashionable. You know, what is blindness is very fashionable? What did you say is no, fashionable? Pretending to yeah, be neutral yeah. is very attractive well, because then yeah, you, don't have yeah. to, you don't have to risk anything. I think we have to come to it now. Your book, Free Schools, is an astonishing one, and many friends of yours, uh, colleagues of yours, have been absolutely stunned by your book. Suppose you talk about free schools, there are a couple of kinds of free schools, one with which you're connected, one with which Pat Zimmerman, whom you respect here at Southern School, is connected, Harlem Prep. And in contrast to these, you're talking of those you describe as artsy-craftsy free schools. 
Yeah, I, I do, and I have strong feelings about that. I think I think there's a I think there's a there's a big difference between the free school, which is usually an urban free school, although it doesn't need to be, but usually, free school which sets itself up right in the face of history, which which, which searches after immediate obvious answers to human pain, hits the problems of racism head on. D- opens itself up to all the miseries and struggles, lead paint poison, slumlords, cops and dope, pimps and pushers on the streets of the cities that we live in, and and builds its curriculum and its mood and struggle around this. On the other hand, the kinds of these little islands of euphoria, a ghetto of happy people, Paulo Freire calls it, the the rural counterculture free school. Utopia by ticket of admission only. You call those the, the wheat germ schools, the handlooms. Yeah, schools. I despise those schools. I've, I see very, there are, there, are very, there are only a very few of them, a couple. There's one up in Vermont called Shaker Mountain, which is different because, they, now that's different. And they're like our comrades because they're, they are out there, but they've gone out of their way and they've worked like hell to find the poor white kids or black kids in Burlington, Vermont, and bring them into that school. Is that a, that, 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 that I don't object to, but the thing that the thing that I find really devastating and dangerous within the movement, within the free school movement, and the, mo- the whole movement in this country, is this this sort of fantasy that um, that you can just put put, put struggle be- behind you, put politics behind you, put put the city behind you, and go away and, as the kids say, get into your own head. You know that expression. Mm-hmm. They say they're getting into their own head, but what they're doing is they're getting out of outside of history. Uh, You're stepping out of history. Yeah. Now, just one other point about it, an obvious point, which is nobody likes to talk about, is that, you know, there are a lot, there are a lot of, uh, of segregated race, racist prep schools in the United States, old-fashioned society prep schools, which are white or totally or almost all white. Well, um, the, there are few of those old-line prep schools that are that, that are as segregated and racist as, as as the rural free schools are, because what they what they do is they go they go far away from the cities. You ask them, you know, where. What happened? You, you mean the rural free schools yeah. are as segregated as the old-time prep yeah, schools? Far more, in yeah. fact, far more. Mm. They're they're pure they're pure white and and almost exclusively. But the there's cho- something else. There's, there's something else that offends you here, and that's the removal from the reality. It's this uh, euphoric aspect of uh, you know, as you, as you say, the wheat germ, the handloom. This is nice and quaint, but has nothing to do with the realities of today. And the impression is that this is great education, and that, the, and the teacher being the letting them do their quote unquote own. Thing or whatever the phrase might be that is so outmoded even now. That's right, but I don't. But I don't. I don't want to. Yeah. I just don't want to downgrade the the other point that that see that the. I mean the fact, the the fact is that they <coughs> they th- they think that because they're surrounded with with all the the trivia of of uh, of uh, hip things of mm. of, do- of dope mm. and and handlooms <coughs> and bare <coughs> feet <coughs> that they're not doing the same things that their parents are doing in their segregated suburbs. And you're saying the same it, thing. It's, the, it's, it's goddamn well the same thing. It's se- segregation is still segregation, mm. whether it's done in the name of Paul mm. Goodman or the name of George Wallace. Mm. It's the same thing. It's mm. just more fashionable to mm. do it in the name of Goodman. But Goodman, since you mentioned Goodman. Well, he wouldn't, he wouldn't, yeah. he wouldn't encourage a, no. a r- racism, but they kids, kids you, will use his name. But the, doesn't they, they think they put a poster of A.S. Neal on the yeah. wall, and it's an amulet against history. Yeah. But coming back, we'll come yeah. to Neal in a moment. Yeah. But doesn't Goodman... Subscribe to your feelings that the teacher must t- 
teach specific things and not be the leaner back and say, oh, you know, let them be free. And it doesn't Goodman, isn't he a sense your ally? I'm just curious. Yeah, on this score, at least yeah. on this score, yeah. I don't, it, yeah. he, he, it's hard sometimes to know what he does believe because he takes a lot of di- different polemical positions. But I think on this score, he probably mm. would agree with mm. me. I, 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 and now we come back to the, t- to the tape we just heard, the yeah. voice of that teacher. That, that I, I think it's, I think it's, it's a terrible fraud uh, on kids to try to pose, uh, for the teacher to try to pose as somebody who has nothing special to offer, who is politically neutral, mm-hmm. who has no, no strong point of view, or who is just there, or as they like to say, the hip word now is a resource person. Is that, is that the phrase? Yeah, now? the phrase is, I'm just, I'm, just, I'm just here. I'm just sort of a nice guy. If you ask, if, if the child spontaneously asks me to talk about no. the literacy campaign in Cuba, mm-hmm. why, I'll be glad to discuss it with mm-hmm. him. But this is such, um, the, you know, this is, so, this is so phony because people aren't going to spontaneously ask to hear yeah, b- yeah. about things that they've never heard of. Yeah, 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 one of the kids yeah. I know said, you don't buy a ticket to fly to Rio de Janeiro if you don't know it exists, yeah, right? Yeah, and no yeah. kid spontaneously yeah. says, oh man, I, I, feel a, I feel an organic urge to, to, learn, about, um, to learn about the Yalta Conference. Mm-hmm. You, you don't ask to learn of it if you haven't heard of it. And mm-hmm. I think the role of a, an exciting teacher in a good free school is to take a position, to yeah. say, I know this, you want to learn it? Come and yeah. listen to me. But it's not, we're not just going to groove. We're going to no. do some work. Right. But, and maybe the good free school will have 10 different guys and women like that, and they won't agree on everything. Yeah, so I you'll have arguments. Yeah, of course, this very point that a teacher does know something a student doesn't know, that he must say this, isn't it, in certain cases, too, that you, you that even the question of, you speak of kids in ghettos, they got to learn sometimes how to dial a phone. To get along. You're talking about survival here. Oh, yeah. That's, Nature survival, that, too. Well, that, that's that's another part. Yeah. That's not even political. Yeah. That's just gut level survival. Yeah. Yeah. The ob- obvious, you you get, you get the, this baloney. The, these um, the, the these young young highly credentialized, terrifically competent young white teachers coming in to free schools in Boston and New York. And where do they come from? They come from Princeton and Vassar and Sarah Lawrence and Harvard and Radcliffe and MIT. And they can do anything. You know, they inherit the earth. These people, and they come in and they. They per- perpetrate this fraud with the kids. They say, "Well, um, that's just." They, they, first of all, they say, "Well, I don't. I really can't. I don't. I'm no more than you. I don't know any more than you do." It's a, it's a phony democracy. That's a fraud. It's yeah. a phony democracy yeah. because the guy from Princeton, uh, he he only acts as if he can't do anything. The kid, in fact, can't do nothing. You yeah, see? you just you something here. It's feigning impotence. I think you use that phrase right. some here, don't you? Pretending toward impotence. It's pretend. It's it's almost as though it's this this is how I see yeah. it, Studs, and I've shared this perhaps somewhat myself. Some of the things I get angry about, I suppose, are things I've, you know, sensed in myself. Mm. Um, it's almost as if we are so we have been so terrified in the past five years by the implications of power, on all sides, where even our previous liberal heroes those of us who had any liberal heroes, mm-hmm. even they turned out to be the men who planned the Vietnam War, mm-hmm. you see. It, it, so suddenly we say, well, maybe all adult power is dangerous. Mm-hmm. Maybe, mm-hmm. maybe we, should, we should turn our, maybe the mm-hmm. only solution is to turn ourselves into eunuchs. And mm-hmm. pre- and, but I think this, this is, I think 
this is a very dangerous solution. Yeah, yeah. You see, I think I th I, there's, not, there, there's damn well not going to be any revolution in this country, and there's not even going to be a decent free school if we're, not, if we're not willing to compete on a basis of effectiveness. I don't see why, why we should leave it to Richard Nixon to do things well. Mm -hmm. It seems to me mm -hmm. we want to do things well, mm -hmm. well and mm -hmm. angry. Does yes. that make sense to you? Yes, we so, so you, Just that example, the example I gave in my book of these, these kids who come in and they say, I come into a, I'm with some black people, and we, we come into a free school and we're observing it. And this kid, this guy from, who's been out in the country, he comes and he's teaching here now, and he's, he's the resource person mm -hmm. on, on, I forget what, um, Folklore or something, mm -hmm. and he says, "Not wow. a teacher, but a resource yeah, person." Yeah, resource. Mm -hmm. But he says, "Wow, wow, that's the word you always hear. Wow, <laughs> or like." He says, "Wow, like." It's like <laughs> this grammar of alienation. Mm -hmm. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? You have to make your sa statement into a metaphor. Mm -hmm. right? So he says, "Wow, like we made a Navajo canoe out of an oak log." See, mm -hmm. so you know. The parents just have a, you know, they just mutter some four-letter word, mm -hmm. you know, because these kids, nobody, nobody needs a Navajo canoe. Yeah, it's the thing. So the we're Navajos talking, don't. You're really talking canoe. about self-indulgence here, yeah. in the name of education, in the name of free school, in the name of Neil. A.S. Neil comes up often. The fact is, A.S. Neil has a definite point of view. Yeah, that's he, it. it's, it's a misuse of A.S. Neil's yeah, name. I yeah, get that. Yeah. Freudians misuse Freud. And no, so you, that, you, you're, you're yeah, absolutely right, and yeah. I think one of the one of the real one of the really evil things about the, much of the Summerhill movement in the United States is that it brings everything brings everything of, of Summerhill except Neil. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it leaves out the yeah. one fact that Neil, you know, Neil is himself a powerful, uh, authoritative okay. man who, who he, do, he doesn't have to do it with a stick in his hand. He, he does it with his eyes, or yeah. with his, his smile. But it's so ironical, you know, the, the, the kinds of, it, so many free schoolers are scared of, are scared of power, and they'll have on mm. the wall a poster of Che Guevara, you see? Yeah. But underneath, yeah. they're afraid of, they're, they're afraid if yeah. any one of them, mm. if any one of them is as, is as powerful as Che, yeah. he, they call him an ego tripper, yeah. you see? But you're talking about free schools now where students are there the free schools that survive are those that come out of pain, out of the need for survival. And the self-indulgent ones almost go, our own uh, stations, our guide, yeah. had an issue dealing with free schools, and a listener called, a friend of mine called, who's a working man, his kid went to one of the free schools, he says, I'll bet a year from now, half those free schools listed in that guide will no longer be in existence. Well, that's probably true. Yeah. I, I could, I could, I could yeah. bet that will be true. <laughs> the, 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 the free schools that last, whether they're white or black or Chicano or whatever, are the ones that have a strong neighborhood base, or even if it's a diverse neighborhood, mm -hmm. even if it's a community only of the mind, but they've mm -hmm. got a base mm -hmm. in people who live, it, live in that town, and they, and, they, and they come out of pain, and their true predecessor is not, is not, is not um, some book that, they, that we read in college. Mm -hmm. the, the true predecessor of this kind of free school is the Freedom School, and it, mm -hmm. go, and it plugs right, and perhaps it's the only part, it's perhaps the only piece of the, of the civil rights movement, mm -hmm. which has emerged into the 1970s. Do you that, see? That's interesting. The word free school then is derived from freedom well, school. Well, to me it is. Yeah. I, yeah. I'm sure that's arbitrary. Yeah. I, but I, I was thinking as you're talking, Jonathan yeah. Kozel is my guest, and uh, the subject is uh, based upon his new book, Free Schools, that Houghton Mifflin have published. And you recall Mr. Kozel won the National Book Award for his own uh, book about his own growth and the development of a free school there, a death at an early age in Boston. If I ask you about the school which you're connected, 
it, how it works. And your book deals with also specific things. Yeah. Uh, the nature of building codes, how to raise money, survival itself, teachers. But I know there's one free school in Chicago that you find real and genuine. It's Pat Zimmerman. Well, there are a couple. I also think St. Mary's. And St. Mary's Center of Learning and Grenshaw. Yeah, I think those are, those, yeah. those are two of, of, of a number that are exciting. There's no one in Boston that yeah. I'm tied to. There, there yeah. are about four, and they're all under parent control. I like to be But what is it that distinguishes? Okay. Let's, let's take St. Mary's Center of Learning and uh, the Southern School, at, of which Pat Zimmerman is director. What is it about these schools that distinguishes, say, from the artsy, craftsy, free schools that you... All right. Well, let me let me take that in two jumps. One one thing that distinguishes th these schools in Chicago, the thing that di distinguishes these schools in Chicago that I can see on a short visit is that all the that, that that all the adults who are working in these schools are fully prepared to stand up and take positions on things, and they don't have party lines. They disagree. You see, the great fear of the of the impotent liberals of New York City is that if you take a position. You're going to revert to the uh, dogmatism of, sta uh, of a sta Stalinist uh, Communist Party or something. This is this is what they're scared of, uh, um, and as a result, they turn themselves into moral eunuchs. Mm. You see, but these schools, they, these these people, perhaps are, are blessed with it. They're too young to have grown up reading Commentary magazine. You know, they haven't had their brains <laughs> fried by that kind of junk, and so they they just have this gut level thing that they say what they feel, but they don't, but they don't, but they don't have a line. They disagree. Now, let's be honest. The, most of us are on the left, you know, and we're, none of us are going to go out of our way to hire William Buckley to teach in our schools. But I wouldn't even mind that, frankly. You I'd wouldn't rather, mind Buckley. I'd rather have a couple of guys like oh, yeah, William Buckley and a couple of guys like Studs Terkel than a lot than a lot of these the, these sort of middling, um, you know, oatmeal liberals I in think New York who never say the what they believe. The idea, I think, of, of people with definite positions, no matter what they are, is good. And by all means, have it out. That's and right. have a Brannigan. Have it. Have, have, have this any very day, exciting any, event. Any day. You know. I once said an exciting yeah. free school is like, is like a really great op-ed page of a good newspaper, mm -hmm. if there is one like that in Chicago. There are a couple in the country. You know, the idea of a verbal brawl, I think, is very That's exciting. Right. And if, even, even, if, even if voices are the word that often use, strident, let there be stridency rather than let there be uh, lower your voice. Low, uh, if if yeah. there's a choice. Well, the low yeah. voice yeah. Is, the, is the luxury of the man who, who yeah. is not in pain. Yeah. You know? but the, yeah. There's one other answer to your question, Sutch, and yeah. this, now I'm speaking of Boston, not, not yeah. Chicago, because yeah. I don't know this in Chicago, but in Boston and New York, the thing that's distinguished about most of the, the thing that distinguishes most of the really good free schools is they have tremendous parent activism. They were conceived by parents in the first place. I mean, that, this, this, this was my experience, and this mm -hmm. is the story I tried to tell in the book. I, parents who just be, had been beating their head against the wall, fighting Mrs. Hicks and the old time school committee in Boston just stood up one day and they said, that's it, we're not going to do that anymore. Did I tell you how that began? Suppose you, yeah. suppose you do this. I think the specifics are very good. Suppose you tell us how a certain kind of school, free school began in Boston. Okay, one, yeah. one two, three, like this. Uh, this, is, this was our story. One day, I'm booted out of the public schools. Okay, whites say, those black people will never stick by you. In, Barbara, this, okay. make this. This is the point that Jonathan Kozol made in your book. That's my previous book, age. right. Yeah. Okay. So you were booted out. That's the end of the last book. Okay. Because you violated out. protocol right. and ritual. Right. I'm booted out, and these supposedly disloyal blacks immediately hire me, give me a job so I can stay on. They hire me to run a little freedom school in the bottom of a church. My girlfriend, who dropped out of Bennington because she couldn't pass math, becomes our math teacher. 
She takes a new math workshop, and as she's learning it, she teaches it to the kids. Turns the kids on, plus their parents who join the class. So successful that by Christmas, the principal in the local public school sends the parents notes and says, that damn freedom school is ruining our math lessons. It, the kids are getting ahead of the teachers. It's spoiling their lesson plans. We would like you to take your kids out of that math program. So the parents come up at night and they start saying, well, by God, if we can do this after school, why aren't we doing it during school instead? And then starts, you get this amazing thing. And it's like, you, if you watch, maybe I've, this is t too much of my old grammatical education from Harvard, but if you watch the grammar, the grammar that, uh, the grammar that the parents use, you see an amazing moment where people enter into history. Because one day they say, wouldn't it be interesting if someone like us could start a school? Mm -hmm. There was no movement. This mm -hmm. was 66. Mm -hmm. The next day or next week, they Julia Walker and some <laughs> of the parents, they say, wouldn't it be interesting if we could start a school like that? And you see how it's changing. We. And then one day I walked into their kitchen and they're drawing up things, paper. They're making lists on paper. And I said, what are you doing? And they say, we're starting a school. And in that moment, do you know, a lot of people say some of the free schools aren't radical enough. But to me, that was a revolution enough for a century, mm -hmm. that moment. And then, just like this, one, what do you need to start a school? You don't need to go to the big universities and ask advice. You don't need to go to the foundations. What do you need? You need teachers? Hire teachers. Paid them anything they wanted. They, got, they paid high salaries. They had no money. So that was very easy to offer them whatever they liked. It's a fantasy anyway. Yeah. What else do you need? A principal, all right? They found B. Miller, who's from Chicago, a black woman. And B was, uh, B was expensive. No, they offered her good money. They didn't want it to be romantic. They figured that it had to be built on real payoff. Do you understand? By the way, how was the money raised? You talk okay, about this wait, in but your book, too. But just yeah. wait, because the thing that's yeah. exciting is that yeah. they, were, they were courageous enough yeah. to do it without money. You yeah. see, they had no money. Yeah. So they, they say to B, all right, we'll pay you 12000 14000 <laughs> Why not? We didn't yeah. have any. So <laughs> you didn't have any money. It's easy. Then what? What do you need next? Well, let's see. Teacher had mistress our building. Okay, so they, we found a lovely building. What what does it cost? Forty thousand dollars. All right. What do you do if you don't <laughs> have any money? You buy it. What do you, <laughs> now, what do you? How do you buy it? You go to the banks. Well, the banks in Boston turned us down naturally. So what else do you do? You go to a loan shark. That's what we did. We went to a loan shark and we got half our mortgage from a loan shark. Mm. I signed the the thing. I know. You he described this. Yeah, it was a real. It was a real. It was a real operator. I signed it on the hood of his white Ford at midnight mm -hmm. at a gas station in order to meet the deadline. Mm -hmm. 20000 bucks. We paid 18% interest. Okay. There's teachers, headmistress, building. Then what do you do? Ah, children. That's right. Almost forgot. Enrolled the kids. Parents did something very beautiful, too, then. Because the group that formed it was, as you could imagine, was somewhat self-selective. They were a little bit of an elite group. They were parents who were hip enough to... To, to move like this. They were parents. In the ghetto. Yeah, they, yes, it was, they were all blacks, or almost all blacks, but they were people who had their head above water enough so they could move on this. They weren't completely demolished by the system, but they didn't want it to be an elite school, even mm -hmm. in the ghetto, because mm -hmm. it can happen anywhere, mm -hmm. right? So mm -hmm. they didn't want it to be elite. So what they do, this is a, this is a beautiful little, little moment. They went door to door through Roxbury, and they knocked on kitchen doors, and they said to the poorest people, the people who would never get out to a meeting and never hear of this, they said to those people, you know what that building is over there? We're going to start a school. And some of the people would say, 
I saw it there. I noticed it, but I thought it must just be for real smart kids. Or I thought it must be for people with connections. And it was really moving because these poorest people felt like that if there was something good even in their neighborhood, it would always be for someone else. It mm. wouldn't be for them. And, so, and some of them didn't want to send their kids to it because they didn't want to take it for free. And they didn't think they had anything to offer, and they couldn't pay any kind of tuition at all. And they and so and some of those parents, some of the poorest people, would come up to the school in the afternoon after the kids were gone, and would uh, th this would uh, made you cry. And they would beg the head headmistress, could they come at night and and clean the toilet bowls, or scrub the floors, or polish the the blackboards, clean the blackboards, in order to pay for their kids' tuition. And some, some of those women would come in and, you know, it contradicts a lot of that Moynihan stuff, doesn't it, about welfare mothers and so forth. These were these poor, poor women, and they would come and they would get down on their knees and scrub the floors. And some of the fathers would come at night and clean, up, clean out the basement. Because and let me tell you something, said some of those parents who came to scrub the floors in 1966 are the teachers in those free schools in 1972, you see, are the teachers of those schools. That that isn't enough revolution for one century, but it's damn good uh, revolution for one decade. This is what you saw. It? You saw this happening. This happened in Boston. Of, yeah, and uh, and and to me, you know, that's a world. That was 1966. 66, 72. We're talking about six years. Now six years. This six is what's years. Happened. And those schools have lasted. They're all. There are four yeah. of them in Boston. They're all there. Yeah. They're still there. They're all run by, by the people. You know. You know the, the 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 slogan of the movement: "Power to the people." Well, this is real power. This isn't so just rhetorical. That power. woman scrubbed that floor in that toilet bowl because it was her floor, her toilet. It meant something. It meant something for her kids. That very thing. That's and she point, and she yeah. forged her own yeah, dignity. Yeah. And you see, it was and she's a teacher now. Yes, those women are teachers yeah. on, and men. They, yeah. they're, there's a good mix, and they tried yeah. hard to, you know. I might say yeah. also those those urban free schools are one of the few parts of the movement I know where women and men function on a very good equal basis. I, you know, I see very little of, uh, you know, of uh, oppression Male, of the women. Male, e Either way, it seems good. Yeah. Most of those schools, mm -hmm. it seems very good. Your book deals with this threat. This is, this is what you just talked about, Jonathan. It's terribly moving. But more than that, it, it, what can be done, what is possible, so the dough was raised from the community itself. You also speak of Partly. other means, huh? Partly. The Partly. You, you speak of other means, too. Yeah, hustling uh, your money. Your book deals with that. Your book deals very specifically, doesn't it? Yeah, about it? a quarter of the book yeah. is, is, yeah. is money hustling, and, yeah. um, and there are a lot of leads in the back on better yeah. ways to do it, but the, some of it was, was really... Um, was really some of it was amusing, yeah. and some of it was frustrating. I don't, I don't know if I included the story of the... Did I tell the story of the, the research racket, the big universities, how we found that we found there was always more money available to, to research the, the, what, the, you know that big academic word, the feasibility of a free school mm -hmm. than mm -hmm. there was to run one. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. we, like you could get $100,000 to find out if it was a feasible idea, yeah. but you couldn't get 10 to do it. Yeah. So we devised, we're de we've devised the scheme now of getting university people to pr make research proposals to find out, to check out the feasibility of what we're already doing, mm -hmm. and use that money to make a. No, thing. you're charging those people. Uh, yeah, yeah. Those people are come do research oh, at your school. Say, okay, now you're going to pay us so much. Uh, yeah, absolutely. absolutely. In a sense, it's it's yeah. turning the tables yeah. on the universities. Yeah. We're going to exploit yeah. them instead yeah. of the other way around. I got a call yeah. last summer before last from somebody in Cambridge, a woman who said, 
could she interview us to find out why we were having so much trouble raising money? And I said to her, that's an odd thing to interview mm -hmm. us about. And sh I said, where, do you, wha where are you getting the money to do your research? Mm -hmm. And she said to me, well, we just got a $45,000 mm -hmm. grant to look into this. So I hope you I said my, the, uh, it'll be $1,000 an hour. Well, you're you're, you, you, you've got more chutzpah than I do. I said 500 okay. But the thing, the, the, the thing was, I said to her, where, where do you get that 45000 Where yeah. did it come from? She yeah. named a foundation. It was yeah. the one that had never given us more than 5000 So they, they gave her 45 to find out why they only gave us five. Yeah. <laughs> so well, that's how it works. Yeah, that's this how it is, works. Yeah, this is yeah. a, a post-Parkinson law here. <laughs> and now, yeah. So you have another technique, too, called the warehouse bookstore. Oh, yeah. That's, yeah. My, that's, that's my, my pipe dream. Not all people think it's realistic. Yeah, I begin, I've begun to think that one of the problems of running a free school is that the more, poli the more consciously political it becomes, the more the foundations and the liberal philanthropists grow uneasy, right? No, no money ever comes without strings of some sort. And so, so we began to think, well, maybe there's some way we could, you know, we could get the money without strings. And we've got two ideas. One of them is to start our own business. Now the counterculture kids in the, in the woods don't like that. They say, oh, man, that's, that's square. You're going you're gonna, to, you, that's co-opt, you could be co-opted. Mm -hmm. uh, but, we, but we say, well, look. Look, all money in an unjust nation is contaminated, and the question is, are we going to beg for it or are we going to grab it? <laughs> so we figured, so we, we've got some schemes. We'd like to get franchises on, on hamburger stands and greasy chicken stands and stuff. We figure if our kids eat that, eat that junk anyway, we might as well, the, the money might as well go back into the school. I once suggested we ought to run liquor, st get franchises on liquor <laughs> stores. People aren't going to stop drinking. I want to come to this warehouse bookstore. That's yeah. Really well, that's probably the, the, probably the, that's probably mm. the idea that's mm. most attractive mm. to people. And the reason is that it doesn't, it, it, it it's connected with our work. This mm. is the idea. Mm. Big cities, especially those that have a lot of universities like Chicago, Boston, and New York, those would be good examples, mm. have so many college kids and, and these big college courses where there are whole sets of mandatory you know titles or recommended mm -hmm. titles that uh, that thousands of kids are reading there must be especially titles that are of a radical or left nature or whole sets of authors from John Howard Griffin and Truman Nelson um, all the famous black authors, Malcolm and Eldridge Cleaver and so forth. So we, we got this idea that it would be hard for us to run a regular bookstore because it's, that's a complicated business with thousands of titles. But if we could set up warehouses where we just handled maybe two or three hundred titles and did it, did it on just with big crates of books, mm -hmm. you know, a thousand copies of Cleaver, et cetera, et cetera, and advertise this among the professors at the colleges, we find a lot of the liberal professors will sort of pacify their conscience by helping us with something like mm -hmm. that and ask these professors and the good ones like mm -hmm. Staunton Lynn, mm -hmm. the really good ones, and Zinn to stand up in class and say to the kids, look, don't buy the books at the college bookstore. Go over to the free school. Mm -hmm. Oh, maybe we'd have an agent on each mm -hmm. campus. And, and you know, we, th we think like in Boston alone there must be a market for twenty or 40,000 yeah. copies of most of those titles. See? Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. So we're talking yeah. about ways and means of sustaining free schools. Uh, Jonathan Kozel is my guest, and his book is Free Schools, Houghton Mifflin, the publishers. We'll pause for a moment and come back to the question, the matter of what is it that is taught at free schools, the ones you're talking about. And again, come back to the... The book has caused a great deal of controversy indeed. We'll return to that in a moment.
Resuming the conversation with Jonathan Kozow, uh, the schools such as the ones that you know in Boston, uh, the ones that Mrs. Walker and her, her colleagues established, and so moving the story, uh, or of Pat Zimmerman dealing with the poor white kids here in Uptown primarily, or uh, St. Mary's Center for Learning uh, in, in, in your school. What is it that is taught in your schools, uh, the schools that you, you know best in Boston? Okay. okay. Um, well, of course, of course, they vary a little from school to school, mm. but all the ones that I really like, the ones I care a lot about, Harlem Prep in New York is a good example. It's fresh in my mind. I've just been there. Um, it seems to me there's, uh, there's a marvelous kind of combination of real tough, aggressive skills in the old sense, good old hard skills, people being good at stuff, being able to do do math well, be able to figure out how you're getting screwed by the bank on mortgage rates, to be able to do the compound interest as well as anybody else can do it, this kind of stuff, being able to read with sophistication and not just read hip books, but read hard books, you know? Okay, and this this is a this is an unfashionable position, and it's a very wise position. Tough skills, but immediately connected with immense intellectual irreverence and, and ethical upheaval and political consciousness. And I, I to 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 repossess an old phrase. I could I summarize it as uh, in, with the slogan "guns and butter" in the sense of of political consciousness and real survival. No. Uh, anger no. and rage no. and skill at calculus. But I taught also grammar, specific things as far as English is concerned, or the language, or what, or literature. Is that is that also part of it too? Yeah, I think. I mean, the, the, there's a kind of there's a kind of mass media image of the free school that we're just grooving around. We don't we don't teach anything. And the the worst free schools, it seems to me, have this kind of ass backwards idea that that the greatest pitch of chaos in the room is proof that you're innovative. And that the sloppiest spelling is proof that the kids got soul. You see, this is the, mm. this is the worst kind of racism, yeah. Yeah. S- subtle, sophisticated. You're talking racism. about discipline now, too. You're talking about well, discipline. Yeah, too. no, I'm not. A, no, I'm not a tyrant, and I, I, and I mean, sometimes I wish I could be a better tyrant. But the k- kids I've always worked with, and m- most of the teachers I like. I so are known to the kids as human beings. We live in the neighborhood. The best free schools have the te- that require that the teachers live in the neighborhood. I think it's a very good requirement. And the kids know you in human ways, so they don't stand and prof- they don't look a- upon you as a mythic character, a priest, or a profession professional zombie like mm-hmm. in the public school. Mm-hmm. Um, so 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 they can puncture you. They can question you a lot. But with that with that irreverence established, mm-hmm. you do get up and you say, "Now look, look, if we're going to if we're going to talk about uh, the novel, let's really do it. I want, uh, if we're going to talk about Eldridge Cleaver, uh, let's really read the book. You know, if we're going to write about it, let's you know write about it. Write about it so people can understand what you're writing about. So I don't hesitate to tell kids that um, you know that 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 a page which is cluttered with 85 misspellings it looks looks pretty cruddy to me, and mm-hmm. that it would be more powerful. Mm-hmm. It would be more stirring. Now I might now I might hold back on that criticism for a long time because mm-hmm. I don't I would mm-hmm. never want to demolish a kid. I might mm-hmm. it might be six months before yeah. I ever brought it yeah. up. I might yeah. want to see 
40 or 50 pages of passionate writing yeah. down on paper yeah. before I ever dreamed of criticizing yeah. it. But sooner or later, I would say to that kid, I see, I don't like to defraud kids. I don't want to say, oh, man, that's beautiful. you got soul. You'll be a beautiful janitor with lots of soul. Well, I have respect for all kinds of labor, but let's face it, the janitor isn't going to have the power in this country that the, that the, that the journalist is going to have or the, or, the, or the brain surgeon or the defense attorney. Mm -hmm. I think that's very important. So we mm -hmm. do... So so we do, many of us do, Harlan Pratt places strong emphasis on yeah. skills. And they'll say right straight to anyone's face, they'll say, yes, 80, 90 percent of our kids go to college, and very few of them drop out. But they're not, gonna, but they're not, but they're not going to lose their souls in those colleges. They're mm -hmm. going to turn those colleges yeah. inside out. And to me, that is real revolution. Mm -hmm. That is the real thing. Yeah. It's real confrontation with the country that we live in. Do, do you see? Now, that's why a lot of people are down on me for the book, because they think... You know, they, they think that, that I'm, that I'm uh, square, you know. And they also feel that you've put down harshly, they feel, uh, some of the, um, you know, what you call the hand-loom wheat germ schools. Because you're, in, you're, you're saying they're, they're copying out, they're escaping from the reality of our day, and they can do it in self-indulgence. See, I don't, I don't have anything against <laughs> uh, uh, innocent hand-loom, and I think it's, it's fun to go to the country. Uh, but what and and the kids I know, the black kids in Boston, like uh, to go to the country just as much as anyone else does. But what I don't like is the fraudulent, the fraudulent yeah. situation. Studs, you often see this. You see these these kids at the in a counterculture school where they say our kids do their thing. They can do anything they want. But in every one of the schools you go to, they're always doing the same thing. Yeah. It's it it is almost like a mandatory curriculum for the alternative school. Yeah, yeah, you understand? Yeah, yeah. And. <laughs> you point, you point also the matter of coming of the importance of hard skills like reading. There was a community, a children's community up in Ann Arbor that Bill Ayers and Dan Outen ran, and uh, it closed. There, there was some question of repression, but also many black parents, you say, took their kids out because they weren't being taught to read. Yeah, we've just got to face that head on. Yeah. The, uh, Bill Ayers is in many ways a um, political hero of mine, and with some reservations, but not too many. <laughs> I admire him immensely, but I think the, the, the experience they had there is a classic one. The free schools that last are the ones that earn, they don't begin with activism. They earn their way towards activism, and they earn their way towards it by delivering some obvious skills first. And, they, and the only way you're going to win the loyalty of large masses of poor people is by coming across with, st with, stuff, that, with stuff that makes sense now like being able to read the street signs and being able to navigate the city, you see? Yeah. And I don't think this means you're copying out. I don't think this means you're copying out, mm -hmm. you know? You can, there are two, you can learn you're talking to, about survival, right? Yes, you? but it's how you learn to read. You yeah. can learn to read in yeah. order to read the telegram you get from the draft board. Yeah. Or that's how you do it in public school. Or you can learn to read so that you can write a manifesto of resistance. Now that's how a free, good free school does it. But but to ignore it, uh, just say no. We don't need to read. We 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 we're we're learning how to make candles. Yeah. Don't that just drives yeah. me crazy? See, I know you you point out here. Just a bureaucratic jargon gets you mad. So does hippie jargon too. Yes, mm. and, and then the the real the hard road for the free school is to navigate in between mm. the the ice cold barren uh, lingo of H-E-W and O-E-O -E and the government agencies, uh, paraprofessionals and all that kind of language on the one hand, and on the other hand, the, the, uh, 
sort of centrifugal uh, mania of the counterculture. Uh, just you feel? Gee, wh- gee whiz, kids are neat, life is groovy, the revolution's yeah. in my head. Yeah. See? See, there's nothing you point out here. Why must we fail? Let's honor success. The idea is, you know, this, this, this we know so- somehow some of the schools say, oh, it's, it's, we're not going to make what a great effort. You're saying, by all means, we must try to succeed and survive. Oh, yes, it's, it's crucial. And that's one of the yeah. things. I think a lot of, th- this isn't my discovery. I think a lot of people who have been active in the peace movement and the civil rights movement have, have made the same point, that there is almost a fear of success. I've seen so many times when kids who have organized a campus, a ca- a campus uh, uh, uprising have been terrified when they realized it was going to work. They've been frightened when they realized it was going to happen. Mm. It, mm. And they, they almost gave it away. I, I said in the book that uh, for many of these people, eloquent failure, eloquent mm. failure mm. becomes much more attractive mm. than visible success. Mm. Because if you succeed, you have to keep doing it for five yeah. years in a row. You have, to yeah. keep, you have to stick with it. If you fail, mm. you can go and write a nice yeah. book about yeah. it. You know, I'm, I'm thinking about this tough black kid on page 77 who passed, and it's a terribly moving one, and yet it deals with success. Yeah, it you does. Know, can you tell that story? All right. I'm describing, I'm describing a, a free school in which they have a very politicized curriculum where they study math by studying what they call the heroin equation, where they, where they study uh, indoctrination by stealing materials from the public schools. And one of the best ways to study indoctrination is to study the teacher's guides. You know, the teacher's guides that teach the teacher how to guide the children to mm. predetermined conclusions. Mm-hmm. They, s- they study cumulative records as mm. sort of the juvenile version of the FBI dossier. Mm. And this, so this is it's highly politicized and, ver- and with a lot of irreverence, and yet at the same time, they really deliver the goods. And you have this, this um, young black man who's uh, about 18 years old, and he comes into the headmaster's office one day, and he sits down, and the, and and he's sitting there, and, and he's a guy who came into the school just two or three years before, and he couldn't read a word. And in three years, he's learned to read and write and do logic and do calculus, and most most important of all, he's learned how to psych out a a, a, a stupid, evil, racist, contemptible college board exam, and he's done it in a way so that he's never believed that it, it was worth anything except as an assorted doorway that he had to unlock. <laughs> and he's done it, and he sits there, and the headmaster looks at him and tells him that he's made it and that he's been accepted at the University of Michigan. And the kid, you know, the kid cries. And actually, the headmaster uh, choked up too. Now, this, to many people, you know, many sophisticated white people who already have their college degrees, this, this, I- I- they don't like this story. Spe- you know, they say, well, I went to the University of Michigan. Oh, man, I know what they do to you there. Poor black kid. That he'll lose his heart. Send him back to the street. He was beautiful before. You see, that, I, I think they're wrong. I think, I, I think they're wrong. I think that, that, that power, power, power is, is, where con- is where the struggle has to be. We cannot avoid it. We ca- you cannot walk around it and pretend that it's not there. If those, if those big universities could evaporate tomorrow morning, fine. 
But as long as they're there, I, I'm not going to leave them. I'm not going to leave them to the to the to the children of Richard Nixon. Well, I, w- I want our kids to, to get into that castle. This is in direct contrast, isn't it, you know, to the other schools that run are outside the realm of reality. They're there. The the, the bucolic schools, where the quaint stuff is taught. This is the exa- y- your approach is exactly the opposite. It's exactly it? the opposite. Uh, although it's interesting um, that since the the book was around for about a year. Mm-hmm. In Xerox before it was published, mm-hmm. and a, a number of the r- rural groups, instead of g- reacting with rage, did something interesting. A number of them fo- closed up their doors and moved back to the city. Mm-hmm. I think Len Solo's reaction was a yeah. classic one. He said, mm-hmm. "The first time I read it, I was angry. The second time mm-hmm. I read it, I began to cry." Interesting. Yeah. And they set up a school uh, in Atlantic City. Even here, since you're in Chicago, I know you know and admire Pat Zimmerman, the Southern School. Here are white kids primarily in Uptown, and here I remember sitting in at one session there, and uh, some of the kids were acting around, and he just looked at them, and they were quiet. He had the respect. He had their respect. He didn't want any nonsense at that moment. Well, Patrick and the teachers who work with him at, at Southern School, to me, are the really, you know, the quiet heroes of our time. They really, that to me, that's the, you know, the deepest kind of, the, the most ethical kind of rebellion. They stick with it, you know. Pat is, is quite something. He looks, he looks a little like a hood. Looks like a hood. He works like a longshoreman. That <laughs> when he starts to talk, you would think you were talking to St. Francis. Mm-hmm. He spent for two years. He slept on the floor of the school. He slept in a or in a cot in the school, so in case the kids needed him at night. Yeah. But this is the free schools that survive. Is what you're saying? Yes. These are the schools that yes, survive because a specific need, a life need, is being met. By the Harlem Prep or the ones in Boston or the Southern School, the St. Mary's Center for Learning. That's right. There's one interesting thing that's going to happen in the next few months. Um, this this is connected to the issue of survival, mm-hmm. of lasting. Mm-hmm. A lot of us during the past year have been troubled by the fact that we have to, that we're still paying taxes to support the public schools. Do you understand? Mm-hmm. But we can't get money. The pu- we can't get money <coughs> to these schools. And we we don't we, we we don't think this is just because the public because we wouldn't have begun if the public schools w- weren't failing in the first place. Mm. So a, g- a number of us in Washington, New York, Boston, and possibly in Chicago also are now planning to bring uh, do something very unusual. We're we're planning to initiate the pedagogic version of uh, of a consumer suit, a consumer rebellion. Mm-hmm. We're going to bring suit against local school boards on grounds of false labeling on the package mm. that they've been offering children yeah. a half-empty package mm. Mm. or a package that was full of poison. Mm-hmm. We're going to say, you didn't, in, in Boston it's very blatant because the two-thirds of the Spanish-speaking kids in Boston aren't even in school, mm. aren't not, are not in mm. school. We're going to bring a suit and we're gonna, the suit is essentially going to be, be this. We're, we're suing Pursuing the system for the child's life. By the and way, a man, wa- a man named Owens, a black man Bill named Owens. Is, Bill is, Owens is tried is to do that in Boston. But he's what? He's, he figured that his boy's life has been uh, somewhat tarnished by the, na- by the maleducation or miseducation or non-education. That's right. He, mm. he felt, with, with, I think without any exaggeration, mm. without any rhetoric, mm. in cold terms, he, even in the, the terms of the system itself, just re- old you know, reading scores, that you could say that the child obviously had lost his years in mm. school. He had, had, he, had, he had not gotten 
his to to be as tough as possible, mm-hmm. he had not gotten his money's mm-hmm. worth. And so this isn't very romantic. But in in t- terms of dollars and cents, mm-hmm. if a year of school mm-hmm. in the United States is mm-hmm. supposed to be worth mm-hmm. a thousand bucks, mm-hmm. we think these kids have twelve thousand bucks mm-hmm. coming to them. And death, and at an, death at an early age. Yeah, or retardation at an early age. That's it. But yeah. what we're going to do is we're not willing to accept that mm-hmm. death, and mm-hmm. we're going to bring mm-hmm. we're, we're going to bring some court suits, mm-hmm. and we're going to demand mm-hmm. that money back, and we're going to use that money if we can win some cases to finance alternative schools. So I'll ask you about alternative schools in a moment. This then is the Nader approach. What Nader does as far as consumer uh, suits are concerned and challenges, you are doing, you and your colleagues, in in terms of education. Quite exactly right. You could call it a kind of a radical version of Mm -hmm. the voucher voucher Mm -hmm. system. Alternative schools, Jonathan. Jonathan Kozal is my guest, and the book under discussion is Free Schools, his new book that Houghton Mifflin published it's quite a book <laughs> uh, alternative schools now you're talking about public schools such as ocean hill brownsville uh, in uh, new york and the race school here in chicago now this is part of the public school system right where there's what happening here in that sense well there, there that's another part of yeah. the movement and mm-hmm. i <laughs> the, the, within the public school systems in many of the big cities there are large decentralized experiments mm-hmm. going on Never, never with the never, very seldom with the with the willing willing support of the school board. People usually have to fight for it. In New York, Ocean Hill, Brownsville, and IS two hundred one were the were the big examples. And to me, these are heroic ventures. They're very brave ventures and very very important. And a lot of the best stuff and be- the best leadership, like Rody McCoy, Preston Wilcox in, in New York, grew, grew out of these these alternatives. And any teachers who are fighting that kind of battle in the system, are, we consider our comrades. But I've j- I've chosen for my own part mm-hmm. to work outside. Yeah. Right? A lot of reasons, but the main one, to be honest, is the size, the d- yeah. dimension of size. You I believe that 80 to 100 or so, is that it for y- a school? Yeah, I, 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 I think that um, the free schools that seem to work the best with the least problems about bureaucracy and so forth and administration are the ones where you know everybody's name and where you're all, you like each other, you know, and where, and where you don't have a, a 18 or 20 member trustee board mm-hmm. where you have to sit up all mm-hmm. night d- hashing out everything, mm-hmm. where you can, where there are only six of you and you like each other and you say, hey, let's, let's, let's do this stuff next week and they say yes or no. And but eighty, you see, roughly, I mean, just to be arbitrary, eighty to one hundred. Eighty to about a hundred is the ideal. Uh, yeah, St. Mary's in Chicago is much larger, yeah. and um, they're they're brave to do it. It's 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 quite remarkable. Mm. I, I I think they 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 may want to split into mm. smaller units. You know, we're touching on various aspects of the challenges that are brought forth by Jonathan Kozal in his book, and uh, Paulo Freire, the uh, Latin American educator who admires uh, Jonathan Kozal's book. Uh, has, a, has an approach toward teaching generative words. It's another oh, yeah. aspect. Well, could you talk about that? Right. Well, Freire went off into northeast Brazil some years ago in his early 60s, and he, initi- he, he developed a method to teach literacy to campesinos, to the peasants. And what he did was, instead of bringing in his own spelling list, he would come into a town and he would say, what are the words which... What are the words w- which mean which stir the blood of people in this town? He had a specific method for doing it. I won't go into the details. Mm. And what the, and words would come forward like land, land, or landlord, or and some words would be angry words, or some of them would be words that had to do with love or sex, or money, 
or the word for slum in, in uh, Brazil, favela. And what he would do would be he would take these words and he would break them up into syllables. And from these syllables, they would generate new mm. words. And he found that in 40 days, he could, he could, uh, he could alphabetize, that's the word they use in mm. South America, he could bring literacy to the people mm. in 40 days. You see, well, for his, for his pains, he was yeah. exiled from Brazil, courtesy but of the CIA. Yeah. It's, uh, now, now he lives in Switzerland. But we, thi we think that this is a good prototype mm. for our methods in the free schools. We don't think you could ever do it in public schools because so it's too political. Yeah, but in free schools it can. I suppose here we lead poisoning, uh, rat uh, rooms, five in a room, whatever it might be. Yeah, Girl, an, inter an interesting... TV, CBS TV, or yeah, whatever. This yeah. is generative words, aren't they? Yeah, but, even, but another, point, another point is we often find that the generative words w might be very big words. In other mm. words, I know kids who, can who, can't spell, uh, who can't spell school, <laughs> can't spell school or fish, but can spell... Long, a long name like El Dorado. Mm -hmm. Do you see? Mm -hmm. It's something that turns them on. Yeah. See, so we used to think you have to start with baby words. Yeah. You see? So we're really talking about words that you see uh, heat the blood. We're talking about passionate that, words that's right. that deal with the daily lives of those people. That's right. Isn't, exactly. that, isn't that what it's about? That's right. right. Exactly. And yeah. um, actu actually, Sylvia Ashton Warner had some of the same idea. Teaching in, the Maori in, in children. Te in teacher, that's right, mm -hmm. um, many years ago, more than 10 years ago. But Freire, the difference is that Freire, I think, is more willing mm -hmm. to see it go in a political direction, you see? Yeah. Jonathan Kozel is my guest. We're just touching on various aspects of his book, Free Schools, that Houghton <laughs> Mifflin have published that's available. Uh, what thought comes to your mind? Uh, as we near the end of the hour now, and this, of course we'll be meeting again and again and again more with you and education and free schools and uh, what it's all about. Remember, we open with the voice of uh, of uh, Kermit Eby, a teacher, and he's not to be afraid to teach, not to be afraid to show passion, not to be afraid to express your body. Yeah, I think that's the theme. That that's the theme I'd like to close on, and the, and because that's Ferry's theme also. Ferry has a wonderful statement where he says. He says, I am never neutral. He says, I am not neutral when I say good morning, mm. you see. And I think that's, that's the point. There's no mm. way to, to step outside of history at a, at a time like this. The mm. teacher can't. either mm. connives, mm. colludes, mm. cooperates, mm. or else he rebels. Mm. And the, the good free school, mm. in one sense or another, mm. rebels. Mm. And uh, there's an appendix to Jonathan Kozel. Contacts, leads, addresses. You have tips. A very practical book. Yeah. Aside from the uh, nature of free schools and origins and uh, uh, codes and uh, teachings and the, the self-indulgent schools and survival, you have leads at the end. That's right. The stuff at the end is specifically is, is calculated to for immediate payoff. Like we don't we don't want people to write somewhere and be told you can write somewhere else. Every address we give, like at the end, is, some, is something specific. A group that'll teach you how to how to hustle money. A group that'll write a proposal for you. A group that'll send you math materials. It's very specific stuff. We give prices too, so you won't know what you're, you 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 won't uh, send away for stuff that you can't afford. We're also s splitting part of the royalties of the book with the movement. That's Glad to say, there's a postscript to the book that I'd like to mention. That Jalen Kozel's book, since it's a question of raising money for schools, half the royalties of this book will be going to a number of free schools, uh, the nature of which you admire very much. That's right, and. Uh, that, that, that's a, it's a, 
inevitable kind of return, you know, because the whole the whole thing grew out of the work of other people. I I'm not a spokesman for the free schools, but I did get everything I learned from them. So naturally, we want to so return part of it. This is a book of your growth as well, isn't it? Yes, it is. I think I think I think five years ago I would have been hesitant to take such such clear positions. I. Some, somebody said the difference between liberals and radicals is that liberals don't like people to be ma angry at them. And I guess I've had to learn in this business now in these six years that you just can't do anything that matters without making someone angry. And you have to make choices. And you can't be for one thing without being against something else. Well, this loses my wife and me a lot of friends, but Barbara and I have made our choice and we're going to stand behind it. Jonathan Kozal, my guest. The book is Free Schools. It's uh, Houghton Mifflin, the publishers, and uh, <laughs> it's quite powerful indeed, and it's quite available. And thank you very much. Thanks, Dutch.